fearless fundraisers, I'm Don Lego. It's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows, and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. Well, welcome back to Raise Nation Radio. It's that time of year. We are counting down the days. I should say we're counting down the hours until we kick it up, raise it up at the annual Raise Conference. So that is where Raise Nation Radio was born a couple of years ago. And today we're 104 episodes strong. Thank you for making the show so popular and being so interactive with us and telling us what you want to hear. Today's topic is one you've asked for, and I'm so happy to introduce our next guest. We have Rachel D'Souza, who's also a speaker, one of our premier speakers at the RAISE 2023 conference. She'll be with us in Nashville at the Country Music Hall of Fame. She's the founder and chief purpose officer. Do not love that title. Founder and chief purpose officer of Gladiator Consulting. And she is with us. We're going to be talking about community and I cannot wait to get started. Rachel, welcome to RAISE Nation Radio. It is great to be here. Um, first of all, 104 episodes. Oh my gosh, what lucky listeners you have. Um, and yeah, so excited to be in Nashville here in a couple of days. Yeah, we're right around the corner. So we are featuring some of our premier speakers, you being one of them. And we're so happy to have you. I'm excited about this topic. But before we jump in, I would love for you to say hello to our audience. They want to get to know you. So could you just share a little bit about yourself, your journey in the nonprofit space, what you do at Gladiator Consulting, and whatever you want to share personally? Absolutely. So um, I am coming to you all today from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, a city that is currently occupying Mississippian land. Um, that is the indigenous community that that resides here. Um, I founded Gladiator Consulting about eight years ago. Um, and prior to that, I uh, had experience doing fundraising work for small grassroots nonprofits here in St. Louis, as well as internationally recognized organization. Um, so have sort of run the gamut of having small fundraising events, large fundraising raising campaigns. Um, and really over the course of the last few years, and especially uh, with the launch of the community-centric fundraising movement uh, back in 2020 by a group of people of color fundraisers in Seattle, have really been trying to figure out what this next normal is in the fundraising world. Um, you know, things got a little bit smaller when we had access to technology that allowed uh, our communities to be more connected in ways we've not experienced before. We are in the middle of a huge generational wealth transfer uh, as we see boomers in the silent generation beginning to retire and thinking differently about their assets. And we are in a space of great entrepreneurship where you have women, people of color and other marginalized people beginning to have access to wealth and resources that they're interested in reinvesting in community and causes they care about. So there's a lot happening in the world right now. Um, and I'm happy to be here and, you know, open a door to conversation about what's possible when we start to consider, you know, as fundraisers and, and folks in the nonprofit sector, um, think about how to be in different relationship uh, with, with our new donors or donors who are looking for something different from us these days. 
Yeah, I, I love that. So eight years, I didn't realize that's a that's a long time. You've seen <laughs> eight years. I don't think I don't think there was any period, there was any decade before that had such transformation in the nonprofit space as the last 10 years between technology and AI and community centric uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, it's been an eight years to, to reckon with for sure. Um, tell us a little bit about, since this is the Ray series and we are in that Ray's frame of mind, you know, the New York state of mind, this is the Ray's <laughs> mind. Tell us a little bit about what we could expect. You're, you're speaking on September 11th. Um, I think it's yeah. 1.30 p.m. Central Time. Um, it is a hot, hot, hot topic uh, worth one CFRE credit as well. So to all of you Ray's attendees, make sure you um, attend for that uh, education and uh, certificate as well. But tell us a little bit about what you'll be sharing with the Ray's audience. Yep. So I am happy, uh, like I said, to be in Nashville next week uh, with my colleague, David Dwight IV and Amy Bossy. And we, uh, the topic of our conversation is bringing community-centric and anti-racist principles to event planning. Um, So, you know, over the course of the last few years, we had to go from having these in-person events to figure out how to sort of convene our communities, you know, on Zoom or in a digital or hybrid format. Um, And there have been a lot of questions about what it means to be inclusive or representative in the way that we um, are engaging with our donors and with other community members who support our organizations. And so the goal of the conversation is really to give uh, fundraisers who are grappling with this shifts in event planning um, ideas and strategies to uh, create a more welcoming environment for their attendees to make it easier to raise money before, during, and after an event, um, and to create such a lasting and impactful event experience that it's not a whole year or you know two years before your donors and your supporters want to engage with your organization again, that they understand and know how to stay connected, how to give, and how to connect their communities to giving, um, you know, 365 days a year. Yeah, I love that. I um, have a, well, as part as a marketer for one cause, we all have roles and responsibilities for the race conference, myself included. Mm-hmm. And I um, I preach that same mind that mindset, right? It's not just the two day conference. It's not sure. just a one day event. There is absolutely a before, during, and after mm-hmm. of the other three hundred and sixty four days. And and how is this? Maybe maybe an anchor or a celebration or a finale, you know, whether it begins it or ends the other 364 days, call it what you will. There are other important days in the year to keep that momentum going. But community seems to be not attainable for some nonprofits, right? They have Mm -hmm. their database. They or maybe doing some things the same way, expecting different results, which that's never yeah. a good idea. <laughs> what, what are the to-dos? What should they be thinking in order to get to a place of community and not an event? Like, how do you make that transition? Sure. You know, um, I will always say that change begins with listening. 
So I think it's always important to, yeah, I think it's always important to, um, when planning an event, um, to ask the people who have participated in the past, um, whether that's your, you know, volunteer committee or vendors or sponsors or those attendees, like, what do you enjoy about the space or what makes you proud to be a part of this event? Um, because you want to know, like, what are, what are we doing right? What do we want to hold on to? What do we want to keep doing? Um, but the flip side of that coin and to your point is who's missing, who has been left out um, and, and why, or how did that happen? And so it's not only listening to the people who choose to support, who choose to attend, who choose to sponsor, you know, year after year, but also um, being in communication with those, you know, maybe they're monthly donors, maybe they're in-kind supporters, maybe they're lapsed donors, um, creating a space to invite them into the organization, invite them in for a tour, um, invite them onto sort of a Zoom lunch and learn and say, hey, you used to be a part of this, or you've never been a part of this, what would encourage you to join us? What would be so wonderful that you would want to bring friends and family or introduce, you know, colleagues and coworkers to this organization? Um, because when we are able to gather that kind of information, we sort of get out of that echo chamber of, well, we've always done it this way, or the board wants to do it that way. And it's just easier because we know what to expect. And then to your point, we wind up doing the same things over and over again, and we're raising less money or engaging less donors, and we don't really understand why, right? So I think the first, you know, that first step is get out of your comfort zone, take a few people to coffee that you maybe haven't talked to before, and let them share with you, right? Because that can provide the foundation for shifts that may resonate within your whole community or even with the people who are excited and enjoy, you know, your events. So empower the people that you work with every day and can connect with to help you make that change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. behind your desk and say, okay, how are we going to oh, get the invitations? And then you fall into the same trap over and over right. doing the same thing. Right. Invite some people in. We want to make change. Well, Absolutely. With every meeting, you'll come away with one thing. By the end of 10 meetings, you'll have 10 things. So Right. And it doesn't mean that we change things overnight, right? Like when we're in a relationship, we know what to expect from our donors and our donors know what to expect from us. So when we decide we want to change something, when we want to make our tent bigger, when we have want to have more seats at the table and we decide to do things differently, we also have a responsibility to communicate that to people, right? Like, hey, when you come to this event this year, you might experience something different. We may have a sign language interpreter. We may have a different way that our food is set up so that it is more accessible to people who may be in a wheelchair or may need assistance walking, right? Like it's not also like we start with listening and then we have to communicate what we've heard and what we've decided to change about our events because we don't want people to be uncomfortable, surprised or caught off guard by the changes we're making. We want them to know and to be excited that we are showing up in this way. And to offer the why, not just communication, mm -hmm. like, to you know, the buffet is going to be now set up this way. Don't right. On it. Take it a step further because we want to be able to accommodate people in wheelchairs. Oh, okay. Light bulb goes off. Right. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Things. Yeah. So mm -hmm. adding that why in, I love that. So how do we get from that transactional to transformative events? Like what system changes do we need 
to think to start thinking about? Yeah, um, you know, I think there's a lot of entry points and. Uh, I also find that when we have these conversations, people are like, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And now I'm overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. And so the one thing I want to say is when we talk about change, especially with events or things we've done before, it's okay to do one or two things. We don't have to overhaul a whole event, you know, and give ourselves a headache and our event committee a headache or our development committee a headache, right? We can pick one or two things. This year, we might try a couple different vendors. This year, we might try a different layout. This year, we might do a... VIP party or a community picnic, whatever it is, right? Like you and I are going to have a lot of things that we talk about here today and maybe one or two things that are the starting points. So for me, it's always, you know, we're going to listen. We are going to think about the vendors or the people that are involved in, in planning the event, right? Um, do those people all live in the same part of town or do they all look the same or have the same perspectives on things? And if so, are there other members of our community that we can invite onto a planning committee, into a planning meeting? Are there different vendors who we could consider bringing on to our event that may offer a different flair, right? Um, that might be having a woman-owned vendor that we've not tried before or a Black-owned vendor that we haven't tried before. It may be that historically we've only had, you know, board members or development committee volunteers on an event planning committee. Do we invite people from our program team? Do we invite members in the community that we support? Do we invite, you know, our monthly donors or people who are engaged in other ways to experience our organization in a different way, right? When we create the opportunity and let people opt in, we learn pretty quickly where they want to fit and where they want to plug in. Um, when we offer sort of the same thing over and over, if I don't see myself in that role, if I can't look at a committee and see people that look like me or people that I may feel comfortable in, I'm probably not going to opt to spend my time that way, right? Or if we typically have our meetings in the evenings or in the mornings, do we need to consider childcare? Do we need to consider um, other ways of engaging people who may be really enthusiastic to support our event, but need other kinds of support to be able to give of their volunteer time? Yeah, and that's where the belonging comes in. You're losing the belonging mm -hmm. if you're not doing some of those things. And right. talking about Rachel is a little on the basic side. So it doesn't, to your point, it doesn't really take that monumental revamp, overwhelm everybody, mm -hmm. so much change. A simple thing like, okay, let's invite a few different vendors in and let's offer childcare or do it yeah. evening instead of the Some subtle right. things like that does start mm -hmm. to make you more inclusive just by nature of, you know, logistics. Right, I mean, right. And those are easy. Those are easy shifts to make. Right. Those are a little pain free. And, and to your point, when we tell our community, this is why this is what we heard from you. It's like, oh, yeah, this makes total sense. And now I can invite this friend or I can invite this couple or I can make sure my parents attend. Right. And it gives people the opportunity to think about who else they can pull in that grows the nonprofits community. Well, immediately gives people. the You know saying to somebody, hey, listen, can you invite your networks to this event? Mm -hmm. oh, your mind kind of starts to go. But when you mm -hmm. say, hey, we've adjusted this to accommodate yeah. that, 
or doing this to accommodate that. Now you start thinking about, oh, I specific people that you could immediately go and share right. things with. And, and yeah, such mm-hmm. a subtle change, but such wonderful. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing at uh, Gladiator Consulting? What are you doing? What, what, Nick, can we talk about that? And can we drop that into the show notes? Have oh, you? sure. Yeah. So um, the work that we. Services, we'd love to know. Yeah. So the work that we do at Gladiator um, is across a couple different spectrums. Um, as a person who was working as a development author for many years um, in a small shop as a, you know, shop of one, as well as with a team, um, I really came to sit in the reality that, you know, our nonprofit work is holistic and we can't talk about, you know, fundraising without talking about programs or outcomes or without talking about our board or without talking about community. Right. And so um, at Gladiator, we really function in a few different buckets. Um, we definitely, you know, are in the space of organizing money um, or with philanthropy. Um, we do a lot of planning work. Uh, strategic planning is sort of increasingly becoming, I think, a little bit of a clunkier term. I think people are more interested in priority planning and scenario planning because of the uncertain world that we live in. So um, we do all, all kinds of planning, not limited to, to strategic, this traditional strategic planning. Um, we do equitable engagement work um, with communities. So how do we spend a little bit more time and resources understanding what people need? And, and if our mission is still, you know, doing what we think it, it is doing, are, are the ways that we're investing resources um, having the impact we intended? And if not, how are we taking information from community and making those updates to, you know, a theory of change or to our vision or to the values that guide our organization? Um, and then we also do work with both nonprofits and philanthropy to figure out what does equity look like within, you know, the four walls of our organization. So we know, you know, what the law in our state prescribes um, for policies and standards, but how do we start to use the law as, you know, the floor instead of the ceiling and figure out different ways to create space for our employees to be able to show up fully uh, with that sense of belonging um, every day to work. Uh, I also sometimes say we also take the like projects that are very scary where there's a high risk of failure and a lot of opportunity for innovation. Um, Those are really fun. I really enjoy those and they don't come along very often. So when they do, I'm like, cool. We might fail doing this, but this is where we need to be spending our time and energy. And this is what we need to be learning about. So um, that's sort of like the fifth kind of crazy bucket. My teammates are like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. Like, let's do it. Bring it on. Yeah. So where did Gladiator come from and where did Chief Purpose Officer come from? Sure. Um, So full transparency, I founded my company uh, seven weeks postpartum with my daughter, Amelia, who was born um, in 2015. Yeah. So I had a four-year-old at the time and a newborn, uh, was on maternity leave and thinking about next steps and was definitely sitting on my couch watching uh, Scandal by the brilliant Shonda Rhimes. Um, And if you remember that show with Kerry Washington, um, she often referred to her team as gladiators in suits because they would come in, look at a problem, look at this really messy, no, really messy situation. And we're like, we have everything we need. We have all of the resources. We have all of the people power. We have everything we need to solve this problem. And I thought, 
this is what this sector needs. Like we need to believe with that abundance mindset that we have everything we need to solve the problems that we're confronting every day with our mission and vision. So yes, I was inspired by Shonda Rhimes. I'll be fully transparent about that. Um, yeah. And it took a little while for me to sort of figure out, um, you know, what to call myself in this work. Uh, in the nonprofit sector, we sometimes very heavily borrow from corporate or for-profit terms. And a lot of those things didn't really resonate with me. That's not what my role looked like. And as I talked with my team and spoke with our clients and other community members sort of realized like my job is to really be at this, you know, 30,000 or 50,000 foot level and figure out like, why are we, why are we here? why are we doing the work we're doing? You know, why do we get out of bed every day to have these conversations? What is our purpose in this space? Because until you figure out how to articulate that piece, we can't talk about a theory of change. We can't talk about vision. We can't talk about our logic model, right? We can't get to those other pieces until we figure out what is our why, why do we exist? And what is our purpose in this space? So, so that, is the sort of audacious title that I gave myself. And it's a reminder to me to not get stuck sometimes in the minutia, but what, what, why are we here? Because once we figure that out, everything else starts to get much easier. Oh, I love those, both of those stories. Let's give a shout out to your children. So Amelia, right? Amelia with an E, very important. Amelia with an E. Um, she's eight, probably going on like 25 and is going to be the child that like leaves my home and sends me postcards from like wherever she lands doing her thing. Um, Cameron, my son is my 12 year old. He has already laid the foundation for gladiators expansion and his eventual takeover. He like picks out the cities that he wants me to. He's like, you need to go find a client here, mom. Cause then we could travel together. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, and then when I take over the business, if I if I am still doing this when he is old enough to do that I don't know that I've done all the work the right way you're glad gladiators there oh yeah yeah oh well if it's okay with you we're gonna drop all of this information into the show notes so that people can get in touch with you learn a little bit absolutely but I want to talk about a sensitive subject if you don't mind take us there sure I, I it's 2023, but we're still talking about it, or it's so important more so than ever. Sensitive, but being anti-racist in your sure. approach to everything. Every sure. day, all day. I can't believe we're still talking about it, but we need to be talking about it. Yeah. What's going on there? Why are we, why are we still having issues with racism in <laughs> profit, in events like how do we get over to the other side here? Sure. Um, so we we are going to be talking for the next 17 years, right? About this. You and I have a ton of time together. No, 20 minutes. Okay. You <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think there's a few things that I always sit with when we talk about these topics. Um, you know, racism and, and other isms, other types of inequity or oppression, they are, they continue to be the results of hundreds of years of history and policy decisions and the ways in which community has been allowed to engage or not engage with each other, the way that some religions have talked about 
who practices that religion and who doesn't. So when we get up in the morning, we are all breathing the same air or swimming in the same water of hundreds of years of this. So I don't think we're going to stop talking about racism or anti-racism or equity or systems change anytime soon because there isn't um, a strategic plan or a development plan or a class that we can take, right, that is going to flip a switch. Additionally, um, we talk about these things at the systems level or the institutional level, but both of those things are made up of people. And people uh, have different, right, as the past hundred years, right, kinds of lived experience uh, within their own identities. And uh, it makes it complicated. And I think that one of the reasons that we keep talking about this or we keep feeling like we're spinning our wheels is because we have not had that critical mass of people say, okay, this is a problem. It continues to cause harm in my community. I know that I am not responsible for 400 years of racism, sexism, patriarchy, whatever injustices that may be. And I'm not going to be fragile about the fact that I may look like a person who has upheld these things, or I may look like a person that has benefited from these things. But now it's time for me to show up differently in my community, right? Um, I, I think that that's the place we're going to, because here's the thing. Everybody at some point in their life is going to experience discomfort, is going to experience some form of harm, right? That's part of living. It's part of life. And we get to decide what we do with that, right? There is an incredible speaker, Loretta Ross, um, who has done this huge study on cancel culture. And you should go to like YouTube um, and look up Loretta Ross's video, or even I think there was a, maybe a New York Times article um, in, in the pandemic where Loretta Ross talks about this deep friendship she has with people who are in the Ku Klux Klan. So she is a black woman um, and she speaks about this relationship and says, if I can find common ground and even friendship with these people who are vastly different from me or who have even said they hate people that look like me, then surely the rest of us can find relationship with people who might get our pronouns wrong or who don't share political viewpoints with us. And that's a hard thing to sit with because I will tell you, as a woman of color living in the Midwest, as the child of immigrants who I grew up uh, with my South Asian parents. They both had accents. I went to school smelling like Indian food and got made fun of all the time, right? Like we have these experiences that happen to us, right? What do we do with them? It is not my responsibility to teach people who aren't like me, but it is an opportunity for me to say, hey, have you considered navigating the situation a different way? Have you considered reading this book? Have you considered being in relationship this way, right? And I can offer those things up, right? We all have to decide at some point that this isn't how we want to live as a community, that there are better things that we can do for ourselves and for our children. Um, but movement work is going to take as long, right, as it took us to get to this moment of having to reckon with these conversations. And so, you know, um, Ibram Kendi 
uh, talks about anti-racism as a constant journey. And if you are not constantly acting with an anti-racist perspective, if you're not thinking about the way that you spend your money or the way that you vote or where you live or where you send your kids to school or whatever those things are, then we are upholding a system that doesn't serve everybody. We keep breathing the same air. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. You know, you said it earlier, spinning your wheels, and that's what I feel like I'm seeing a little bit. You know, we're talking about community and trying to create a community for, you know, our nonprofit work. We're spinning our wheels. We talk about anti-racism. We're spinning yeah. our wheels. We really have to show up differently and be intentional in the morning when you wake up and say, okay, yeah. breathe different air. I'm right. intentional. I think it's fear, but not fear of, of harm, fear of, I don't know what to say, how to say, but you know what? Sure. I would rather try and stumble, yeah. learn, and then, and, yeah. and then keep going in that direction. But we're never going to get to community if we don't fix because I mean, what is community if everybody looks the same as you, thinks the same, right. as you, acts the same as you? It's not right. really, really right. community. Right. really community when we can get rid of the racism or as you mm-hmm. said, anyism. And yeah. Then we can, you really need, they right. hand. one needs the right. other. And right. so what, what's your advice to nonprofits that, you know, uh, tomorrow morning they're hearing your message, Rachel? Yeah. Um, of course, we know we can come to Gladiator Consulting. Yeah, of course. Right, of course. But what can what can they do differently? One, two, three, intentional sure. every day. Yeah. What would your advice be? Yeah. So, you know, here's what I think. I think when people grapple with the, this issue specifically, the first thing that they think about is inclusion and representation. Oh, well, we could get a more diverse board or we we could have a more diverse staff. And then we wind up pulling in people who maybe don't share our same experience, who don't look like us, but we have not held the mirror up to our own organizations and figured out, is this a place where Rachel wants to be? Would Rachel be comfortable here? Is this a place oh, where, right? Someone who doesn't look like us, doesn't speak the same language, doesn't have this, like, do they want to be here? And so I think before any organization goes out trying to pull people in, they have to look at their own history. They have to look at their own policies and figure out how they got here, right? Like we cannot do anything meaningful if we don't understand the, the conditions that got us to where we are. And so I think that there's, you know, if you want to call it an audit or a pause or a step back or a reflection, whatever that is, look at what you are doing and figure out how can we shift and change as an organization so that we don't have to go searching, right? For those people, they find us because they want to be a part of what we're doing. Yeah. It's not just, okay, just change that board member or just change. Right. Right. That, I mean, not I have seen, no, I have seen some of the funniest, um, you know, board matrix matrices of people who are like, have broken identity down so much that it's like, okay, we need to find like this person of this gender with this ethnic experience who lives in this zip code and is a CPA. And it's like, no, that's not real. That's not how this work works, but you can, right? 
put yourself forth as a place where people with lots of different experiences want to be and want to share their, you know, volunteer hours or their resources with your organization. So inside out. Yeah. Organization. Yeah. Organization, be intentional and then it will naturally grow. Absolutely. The right, the right intentional moves. Yes. Change, not just. Absolutely. Yeah. Put a square peg into a round hole. <laughs> right. Right. You no know, kind of thing. Right. You are so inspiring and I love your perspective. I cannot wait to see. Um, I hope they don't. Uh, what, what is it? September, what, what are those date times again? September 11th at 1.30. Yes. With a lot of whatever responsibilities, if I could, to come listen to your session. Um, so I'm really excited about that. But I do. I think we have time for one more question. If you can just hang in there with us. Sure, of course. What, what are you pleased about? What are you, how, what progress have we made and what, 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 what do you see for the future? That's, that's encouraging, inspiring and good for nonprofits. What, what, what is yeah. that? You know, I think that um, one thing that gives me a lot of hope um, right, maybe two things is, first of all, our nonprofits have started to think about what it looks like to engage with millennial and Gen Z folks. Um, we can't, as you said, keep asking the same people for the same amount of money and hoping that we are able to, you know, necessarily have transformative results. And so I think when we include the perspectives of younger members of our community, um, we are able to learn and grow and flex the way that we do our work to sort of keep that umbrella big, right? And inclusive. I also have started to see organizations, um, national organizations um, like the ACLU and Family Values at Work, smaller grassroots organizations in different communities start to implement some community-centric and anti-racist fundraising practices within their organizations, and they are raising more money. And I think part of the questions and the tensions that people have sat with when we talk about community-centric fundraising and this more sort of traditional donor-centric fundraising is, okay, these ideas are great. These values you sound wonderful. And is my organization still going to get what we need? And what is true as the movement has grown, as people have started to bring different types of anti-racism and community-centric fundraising principles into their development strategy, is that yes, we are raising the money that we need. We are raising money from new donors. We are keeping those donors and we are creating different ways for people to engage with our organizations. So it feels good to be a part of a movement. And it also feels good to be a part of a movement that is doing the things we hoped that it would. And so that makes me feel really good that over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we are going to see a pretty exciting shift in the way we think about resources, relationship and community. Oh, yeah, I love that you said that. And you've given you know me so much hope because um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, these last 10 years have been wow. But mm-hmm. next 10 years might be yippee, you know, which um, yeah. would be nice to finally see some of these isms leave um, or temper down. And right. yeah, we just, we really get to the core of community Um I feel inspired, Rachel. Thank you. Great. Hey, how are the Peloton working workouts going for you? Oh, I'm such an addict. I got to tell you, 
Like I know people are going back to the gym, but it is like the best feeling in the world to get the kids from school, sit them down with a snack, pop upstairs. Emma Lovewell is a fave. I I love, I will preach Emma Lovewell forever. Um, do a little, little ride, get a little arm or ab workout in shower and then come down and be like present to like get dinner on the table. You know, it's, it's the perfect break in my like work to mom life, I think. Yeah. The Peloton, gosh. We actually have like a Peloton little club here at one. Ooh, okay. How do I get an invite? Do you guys so. have a tag on the leaderboard? How do I follow you guys? I think it's our internal Slack, but I don't oh, know. Oh, got it. That's funny. Figure it out. I don't have a Peloton yet. I gotta, I gotta figure that one out. Um, and I'm gonna have to follow you on Instagram. So, are you like me at night before you go to bed until the? Oh, totally. Are you scrolling, scrolling, scrolling? Totally, yes. You can find Gladiator Consulting um, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on Threads. We are we are on Threads. Oh, um, yes, and I am. We have the most brilliant Monty Hill uh, supports all of our social media. So when you. Uh, you know, join us on Instagram, which is where I think our best content is. I'll be honest. Um, much hype to Monty who keeps us real and relevant and honest. Um, and a little snarky, like a little, little snark. I, oh, I can't wait tonight when I'm trying to, when I have the two toothpicks in my, in my eyes, I'm definitely <laughs> gonna follow and we'll get that in the show notes so our whole audience can follow. Perfect. Um, well, oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I can't wait to see you, uh, in, the Country Music Hall of Fame. Have uh, Are you a Nashville fan? Have you been there? I have been to Nashville before. This is the first time that I am bringing my kids with me. So we do in advance of the conference. Uh, we have a hot chicken stop. They're interested to see if there's a zoo or aquarium. We have some college friends down there I'm going to be visiting. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Gosh, you want you to adopt me. That sounds like fun. <laughs> well, Come with us. Come with us. We have a whole weekend. I mean, you're probably busy with the conference, but um, if you get a break. Just a tad but that's okay yeah. it's a great conference and we get to connect with everyone we get to connect with you but we're going to keep this conversation going it's so important and we need people like you to help us break down that fear and yeah. understand just how to connect and and how to speak and meet people where they are and be intentional and do yes. one thing different a day and get rid of the yeah. isms Move and on. you might and you might get it wrong you might get it wrong and that's okay. Because when you get something wrong, you have more information than you had before. And then yep. you know to do something differently, right? We all, I think the other thing that nonprofit sector could do is we could get it wrong a little bit more often because we we could learn from that. Yeah. And then and then you know, for sure. Yeah. Time, right? And so yeah. And you're vulnerable because you know what? That is the definition of insanity, right? <laughs> yes. Well, Fearless Fundraisers, that's about all of the time we have for today. I'm sorry. I know we can talk to Rachel for, as she said, 17 years. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 1230 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Thursdays, 1230 Eastern Time. In the meantime, listen to all the episodes, all 104 of them on Raise Nation Radio. Follow the channel that you like the best. We're on all your faves. So, you know, no, no, no excuse for not following us. Um, and then you can get notifications about our guests, um, just like Rachel. Now, if you're a fundraiser, 
We'd love to feature you on the show. So reach us at hello at onecause.com. We'd love to get you um, a little spotlight on your mission. We know you're doing amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Your stories are awe-inspiring. I want to feature them on Raise Nation Radio. So please connect with us. I'd like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use digital fundraising solutions that help nonprofits connect with donors. Check it out, onecause.com. Please visit the resource tab on the homepage. There's a broad catalog of free content, eBooks, you name it, that hopefully you'll find very helpful. A huge shout out, gratitude, and thanks to my guest, Rachel D'Souza from Gladiator Consulting, the founder and chief purpose officer. I love that. You are so um, authentic in, in our discussions today. I truly appreciate that. Um, and you're still studying too with all of this going on. Is that right? Are you going for like a second master's? I am. I am getting a second master's because I don't know. This is my midlife crisis, uh, but I'm in law school right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right <laughs> um, I'm getting a master's of legal studies at Washington University School of Law here in St. Louis. Yo. Oh my gosh. Okay. We'll talk about that on the next. Um, yeah. But thank you so much for being with us today. I so thank enjoyed. you. But I have to ask, we ask all of us. Sure. Any last words of inspiration for our audience? Pick a place and try. Oh, so simple. Pick a place and try. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to wrap this up in the show notes. People might reach out to you because we're going to drop sure. to get in touch with you. Thank you again so much. Thank this you, Don. Until next time, I'm Don Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. You stay fearless out there. Mm-hmm.